At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. All right, welcome to the show today, the Author Your Brand Show. I'm your host, Doug Crow, and you're going to want to take notes. You're going to want to pay close attention to our guest today. I'm telling you what, we've never had somebody with this many credentials in his uh, resume. It's amazing. Um, our gentleman today, our, our guest, and he's a true guest, right? He's a decorated combat veteran, recipient of the Bronze Star, Purple Heart, and an Air Medal. He also holds the Army, Ma Army Master Aviator, Aviator Badge, Master Parachutist Badge, and Ranger Tab. And during his military career, he served in a variety of infantry, aviation command, and staff positions around the world. He retired from the U.S. Um, Army as a colonel in 1997, and as the Division Chief, Army Training, Pentagon, Washington, D.C., he served as Managing Director, SYC, SY Coleman. So much to go here. He holds a Doctorate of Philosophy of Adult Education from Madison University, MBA from Auburn, Master's of Education from Boston, and a BS in Music Performance and Music Education from Jacksonville State University. He's a graduate of the JFK School of Government from Harvard. Did he ever have a time to actually like, do anything other than learn stuff? My gosh. Um, he served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense level at the National Director of the National Committee of, you know, government stuff is so long to read. Let me try that again. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense level as the National Director for the National Committee for Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. ESGR, I like this, like this abbreviated version. <laughs> Uh, as a presidential appointee and member of the Senior Executive Service, he's provided executive leadership to the largest volunteer organization with the Department of Defense, compromised of over 5,000 uniformed military, government, civilians, defense contractors, and volunteers. He's a president CEO of this very special nonprofit called Veterans Moving Forward. It's a nonprofit that provides service and emotional support dogs to veterans at no cost. He's also the founder of the uh, Gordon Sumner Consulting, Instead his name, which is a service disabled veteran owned small business and American Indian small business. He's a member of the Santee tribe. So he supported various veteran support nonprofits, small veteran owned and service disabled veteran and owned small businesses. Man, I can't wait to talk to this guy today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gordon Sumner. Gordon, how are you today? Hey, Doug, great to be on your show. Thank you so much for allowing me to meet you, talk with you, and share. A little bit about what we're doing with our service dogs for veterans programs at VMS. Absolutely. Thank you for your service, 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 service. <laughs> you've, been <laughs> in, you've had, like sounds like more than at least three or four careers here. So thank you for that, number one. <clears throat> thank and you. number two, I'd like to give the audience a reason to stick around today. You gave me a very powerful, sobering statistic at the top before we start the show. You want to share that with us? Yeah, a lot of people still don't realize that we're averaging 18 to 20 veteran suicides a day not a month, not a week, but a day across our country. And a lot of people believe that if you're a veteran and you need things, you can just walk down or give the Department of Veterans Affairs a call and they'll come running with the service dog. But the VA does not provide any service dogs or any way to get a service dog for veterans anywhere in our country. So that's why you have organizations like us, like Veterans Moving Forward and other great nonprofits that are also providing service dogs mm -hmm. because there are just so many. Even with what we're trying to do, uh, it's it's still not enough. Yeah. I want to talk about the doggy thing a lot because obviously we're dog lovers here at our, at our family and our company, and I know you are as well. 
We're going to get to that in a minute. And we're going to talk about how people can help, which is really important because, yep. man, um, I want to get back and without being any dis- disrespectful to the VA and whatnot, because I know we've got challenges in our, in our, in our government. There's no question. We all know that. Um, oh boy. What do you start on that? Um, as a veteran yourself, I know they do some good work. But there's a lot of bottlenecks and challenges there with the VA. What's the biggest um, bottleneck or challenge that they're having right now with helping veterans out? A lot of it right now is still somewhat of a backlog, not like it was three or four years ago, of veterans that are retired putting in their disability claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've lost a lot of those service officers that are representative of the different veteran service organizations, the VSOs mm-hmm. that provide that service to our veterans. And we just need a lot more of those uh, to right. help to adjudicate those claims when they make the initial application and right. that and educating our veterans on what rights, privileges and benefits that they've earned. Yeah. I remember when I retired and I'll never forget him. His name was Richard Lockwood. And he, I was sitting there and I had, had my wife with me because I can't hear half the time, or at least that's what she says. And so <clears throat> I purposely sat up front and I, was taking copious notes as to what you have to go through and what they're telling you to do this, do that. Right. He stood up towards the end of the afternoon and he said, I'm your VA representative. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that today you hurt. And I looked at him and I thought, well, that's interesting. And he yeah. looked over at me and he says, let me tell you what I mean by that. Here's a Colonel sitting here at his table. He's got his uniform on. He's got all these ribbons. He's, he's jumped out of airplanes. He's flown something. He's done all this stuff. And sir, I'm telling you today, you hurt. Because I can guarantee you for your career, you never told anybody. And you definitely didn't tell your flight surgeon and you didn't tell your doctors that you hurt because you didn't want to not serve. You didn't want to get grounded. You didn't want to stop doing what you were doing. But I'm telling you today, you hurt. And here's what I need you ladies and gentlemen to do. Tell us at the VA your ailments. Tell us what, you, what you're suffering from because that's our job is to make sure that you get wow. benefits, that you get your disability, and you get everything that you have earned. I'm not telling you to just tell me that, oh, I've got a toenail you know, hurt or I nicked my, uh, you know, my fingernail or something. He said, but today's the day that we need to know. And I'll never forget that. And mm. I tell veterans that when they're getting out, they need to have a kind of a, a come to Jesus meeting with themselves yeah. and admit that there's some things that they need fixed and they, and they need to tell the VA. Now, everybody's not going to get a hundred percent disability, nor do I believe everybody should. Right. But I do believe that every veteran who has served our country deserves to be taken care of in some manner 100%. by our federal government, who is the one who sent us into harm's way to start with. Right. Right. Um, man, that's 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 very powerful. I just had a gentleman on recently, who was um, he's an NFL former NFL player, and grew up with a lot of trauma. You know, no dad, being abused, whatnot. Got out of the hood, made it to the NFL, and he didn't realize his trauma until like he turned forty, and it all came up. And during those first, you know, several decades, he's just holding it in, holding it in, because you know, as men, we're taught what not to cry, tough it out, mm-hmm. and that's nothing. Nothing compared to being in combat. I mean, you know, being yelled at or, or being abused is bad, but yeah. uh, being shot at's got to be worse, right? <laughs> I can't imagine. But it's still fun, I can tell you. 
Well, I'd like you to tell me, actually. I've only had, <laughs> we have uh, about three or four clients at our company who are veterans. And um, I think, well, two of them have seen combat. And, uh, you know, it was a very short conversation. But, you know, you learned, you've earned a Purple Heart, sir. So if you want to share any war stories that you'd like to that give people perspective, it wouldn't be, it'd be all right with me. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I finally got to where I was somewhat comfortable to talk about it and some of the other things. Um, believe it or not, um, I'm a Vietnam War era veteran, but I, I didn't get wounded or anything like that during that period. Mm -hmm. I got my first uh, Purple Heart during Operation Urgent Fury in Grenada, which, by uh -huh. the way, we're celebrating the 40th, 40th anniversary of that operation. I know it's hard to believe. It, I must have looked like I was 12. When we I both was, have a little gray there. Yeah, it's okay, man. Yeah, I was 12 years old when I signed up and lied to yeah, the Army. Right. But, um, but, yeah, I, I um, was wounded on the, the night of 2nd November. Okay. Uh, that's my uh, alive day, as we call it. Um, uh -huh. And uh, I, I was commanding of B Troop. Commander for B Troop, 1st Squadron Air, 17th Cavalry, 82nd Airborne Division, which is the scout um, gun team for the eyes and ears of the division. So you were in a helicopter aircraft? So we were, yep. So I had scout aircraft. Uh, I personally flew the Cobra. That was oh, my helicopter okay. choice. And I had some Blackhawks. Yeah. And uh, when we were alerted, we went to Barbados, mm -hmm. put everything together, and then the morning of the... Uh, of the assault, we flew from Barbados into our objective on the east side at Pearls Airfield right. after the Rangers had come in at Point Salinas that you saw on TV. So um, so we're sitting there and had it regularly set up just like Vietnam. I mean, if you looked at the pictures that some yeah. of my warrant officers made, you would think we were in Vietnam because mm -hmm. it looked just like the jungle, had the trees and everything. Right. And so we had our fire base set up. We had the perimeter base secure with the helicopters. Mm -hmm. And then that particular night, which was not our first night of combat, but that particular night, some of the bad guys reinforced by some Cuban advisors decided to attack us yeah. instead of uh, Point Salinas. And so they, I mean, it was textbook. We had our avenues, likely avenues of approach. We had our gun placement set up. I mean, uh, my uh, instructors would have been very proud of me, <laughs> you know, um, but we had it done, and my sergeant major and I woke up to the sound of the guns, which was yeah. really the machine guns going off. And by the time we got up and got to look, and you could literally see red tracers going that way and green tracers coming this way. And um, right. I was running towards to see what was going on, and I just got slapped down. Yeah. Um, then everything really slowed down. I've heard this from more than one veteran telling me, because I always thought I was just delusional. But yeah. it's as if... I got hit right now and I'm looking at you, but you're moving really slowly like this. And your sound is like taking an old 33 and a third record yeah. and slowing it to 16 RPM, that kind of sound gravel. Right. Honest Doug, I can't tell you if it was five minutes, 30 minutes, wow. an hour. I don't know. I lost time. It was, mm -hmm. I can't tell you. Then things happen. Everything was all right. We uh, killed a few, cleaned that up, captured some, got yeah. them loaded onto the Blackhawk, shipped over to the headquarters. And I was sitting there, and my sergeant major looked at me, um, Paul Lacey, and, and suddenly he said, hey, boss, you're bleeding. Yeah. And I said, what? And he said, you're bleeding. And I looked down, and they said, I just, I guess the adrenaline was over, and I just yeah. you know, fell out. That was it. 
Wow. Would you, would you, was that a, a bullet or a shrapnel or what was it? It was probably three, three or four bullets that clipped me along the leg that took out some skin. I lost uh, about that much of my left kneecap that when it came oh, through. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But they just patched me up right there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, in those days, the unit that I had, we were self-sufficient. So okay. I had everything I needed to deploy. All I needed was be resupplied at times, but I could, yeah. I could fix the helicopters. I could arm yeah. them. I could cook, eat, feed, the troops. I had my own medical yeah. platoon. I had my own infantry, infantry platoon. So, I mean, it was, I had more as a captain with about 450, 475 paratroopers yeah. and 23 helicopters in my command. Wow. Uh, and our, uh, aviation Lieutenant Colonel doesn't command a unit that big today. Okay. So like I said, they, when we left the 82nd, we literally left as a unit with uh, the augmented brigade and we went somewhere and we told everybody goodbye because we could take care of ourselves, just make sure we got resupplied yeah. somewhere down the road. Wow. Well, so my, so my medics patched me up, and, yeah. and that was it. Yeah, but taking up part of a knee, it's not doesn't sound like it's field surgery to me. I don't know. Is it? Yeah, just a few Band-Aids, a little bit curacoma, and I'm sure I was. Oh, was you tough guys. Okay, I love it. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a real quick story. Yeah, please, go ahead. So a few years ago, I had, I had to have neck surgery. So all my fun as a young, uh, young Army guy, Okay, it's all starting to, to come back. Yeah. And so I had to have some neck surgery. And I'm laying there at the hospital here at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. And this big guy is there, the nurse. And he said that he had just retired from the Army about a week or so ago. And they brought him right back as a civilian nurse there at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And we did this. Oh, well, I was in the Army. You were in the Army. Well, I was this. Right. I was that. Until we figured it out that he was a brand new private first class had just been assigned to my unit at Fort Bragg. It was wow. in Grenada and patched me up that night. No way. <clears throat> yeah. Oh my gosh. At the time it would have been 35 years ago. That's like so, a movie. That's so I'm sitting there laying in the bed, getting prepped up for surgery. And I see this train. It's got all these big needles and syringes and everything. And here's this big guy. I mean, he's a big guy. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, Oh God, I was his first commander. <laughs> and I looked at him and I'm thinking, so how was it? And he said, oh, sir, you were the best commander I had in my whole career. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Because <laughs> I could just see, you know, me being a, oh, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, it's like one of those guys in Vietnam get shot in the back by their own troops. Yeah, we would yeah, but, but he had just arrived out of basic at AIT and oh like two weeks before we got deployed. And, um, and here he was, you know, a big career later. Yeah. 30-year career. And Amazing. retired as a master sergeant, E8 nurse. Um, and here he was taking care of me for my surgery. It was great. It was great. You know? Well, I tell people I'm the poster child for God works in strange and mysterious ways because, mm -hmm. you know, you read some of my bio. And yeah. I mean, I can't make that up. No. I mean, that was just amazing how one thing connected to something else, yeah. to something that my whole military and really civilian career, my whole life has just been that kind of story. It's incredible. Yeah, I was watching something on Discovery Channel about um, testing the quantum physics thing, quantum physics versus regular physics. And it was so fascinating to have things, you know, these particles that like, you know, relate to each other, even though they're like a million miles away and whatnot. And I, mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's something like that. Like, you know, there's a reason that that guy was there first time and then for your neck, you know, it's just, Something's going yeah. on there. So he wow. patched me up and then he, he assisted in my surgery. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's very cool. Very cool. So again, yeah, thank you so much for your service. And you definitely deserve all stuff. How long were you in Vietnam? Did some, or I, Well, I just came into the Army in seven. Well, I 
got drafted in 73. Yeah. So uh, I only went over for just a short amount of time later on with a special yeah. unit. So. Okay. okay. Well, good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad Grenada was short-lived. At least that made it less, uh, less traumatic for people, I guess. So. Yeah. Um, all right. So again, then you got this, all this other stuff here with, with music and PhD and, and yeah. all this other thing. Give me a, give me a, go ahead and give me a lineage here. And after you, you know, you've got more than one career here. So. Play well, I, well, I'd actually played over in a, a piano major didn't know what I was going to do with it. I started mm -hmm. taking piano lessons at five years old. Um, I, I did my first Mozart concerto when I was 11 and then, um, but I, but I did not want to be a concert pianist, even though I'm classically trained, I enjoy music accompaniment. Mm -hmm. I, I like being the guy playing the piano for, especially vocalists, choral groups. Wow. That's where I do my writing and directing is with choral sure. groups. Because there's something magical about the human voice and what you can do with it and the different voices and tenors that you get mm. um, and how you can just pull at emotional heartstrings. I mean, I, I can remember to this day, one of the guys that was in our music department at the university, Willie Shedd, mm. absolutely gorgeous tenor voice. Yeah. And I would be accompanying him with tears coming down my eyes right. while I'm playing for him thinking, I can't see the music. I'm glad I got this somewhat memorized because yeah. I'm just crying listening to how he's doing some of these arias and stuff. So true, I, I really enjoyed it. And that's really what my, my uh, doctorate is in, is in mm -hmm. music accompaniment. Uh -huh. And the byline of my dissertation is just because one can play the piano does not an accompanist make. And so the, the actual dissertation is on the skills and attributes of a choral accompanist. Oh, so. nice. That's very yeah. impressive. Yeah, my my daughter I got a degree in music education. And I remember her, her performance. I'm the, I'm in charge of videotaping it. You know, wife's crying. You know, I'm, like, I'm not trying to hold her <laughs> while I'm listening to her do. She's a gorgeous, gorgeous voice as well. But, yeah, I, I understand that. So um, there's something very um, magical about, about singing. That's why I think it can cry at an opera because it's just – it yeah. sounds beyond humanity. It's an ethereal voice to it, right? The tones are just yeah. incredible. Yeah. Amazing yeah. stuff. So, okay. So you concert pianist, and then we got it back into. Uh, so then, then like I said, I signed up for the army. Yeah. Um, became an infantryman, served in the first battalion Rangers at yeah. Fort Stewart, got married. Uh, my Sergeant major at the time, our first Sergeant at the time, uh, Julius Gates, who later became Sergeant major of the army came up to me one day and he says, Hey, what's this I hear? And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, he said, I hear you're getting married. And I said, yes, first sergeant, I'm getting married. And he said, Dawi, what the hell are you thinking? And I said, well, what do you mean first sergeant? He said, what the hell are you thinking? We have a 75% divorce rate in the battalion. He said, are you, oh, no, no, no. We talked this over and she understands. And he just <clears> looked <throat> at me and shook his head. Like I was the dumbest lieutenant. Yeah, he had boy, yeah. Mm. So the, the, also the reality was I really liked it. But I also was looking at my battalion commander, Joe Stringham, yeah. uh, lieutenant colonel at the time. He later retired as a general officer. Wow. And I would follow uh, Colonel Stringham through hell and back. I mean, he was just that kind of leader. Yeah. But I'll never forget we were sitting there on an RTEP, uh, which is the evaluation exercise that okay. units go through in the Army, testing and evaluation. And what happened was um, it was December. I realized that here he is carrying the same rucksack. Same rifle, in the same frozen sea rations. He's just getting paid more as the commander than I was as a lieutenant. And I said, God, do I want to look like that when I'm 40 years old? And the answer was no. <laughs> so I uh, turned my paperwork in. And we talked about it. So I turned my paperwork in to resign my commission. Yeah. 
yeah. I've done my job for God and countries, you know, did my family thing because my family has a long history that dates back to the Revolutionary War of a direct descendant in every major conflict our country's been in. My grandfather, my great grandfather. You're like Lieutenant Dan, right? Okay, got it, right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, so, so I wanted to make sure that, and we all serve, all his yeah. cousins, you know, we've doing my daughter, our daughter right now is a major in the Air Force. Right. serving uh, at Bragg, where she was born, with the special operations folks down there as a physician right. physician assistant. So mm-hmm. all done, put my paperwork in. Again, poster child, I get a phone call Saturday morning, 6.30, from my assignments officer, Roger Duckworth, screaming in the phone when I, you know, I answer Lieutenant Sumner. And he goes, what the hell are you doing, Lieutenant? And I was like, woo. You know, back to the ear, and I said, hello? And he says, what are you doing? And I said, Captain Duckworth. And he said, Major, do you? And I was like, okay, sir, fine, whatever. Why are you calling me at 6.30 in the morning? I'm in here saving your career. And I said, uh, okay, um, what's going on? He says, well, I came in to clean my desk off before I leave. I see your packet resigning your commission. He said, yeah. uh, you, I've always done, you want to go to flight school and fly helicopters. Uh, and I said, yeah, but we kicked all the pilots out after the war. Yeah, we screwed that up, kicked out too many. If you want to go, your class starts in 30 days. Oh, nice. So he says, but you got to get all your tests done. You got to get your physicals. You got to pass yeah. it all. He says, because you're going to Rucker. And if you don't, you're going to be a staff guy there. And you're going to be watching everybody fly helicopters over your head unless mm-hmm. you get all this done. So I said, all right, I got this. Well, again, poster child, the guy who had just left is our battalion executive officer was a guy named Dean Anderson, Major Anderson. So I walked down the street to where we lived in quarters knocked on the door that Saturday, told him what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, oh, yeah, I got this. Because he had just taken over his aviation company at Fort, at uh, Hunter Army Airfield. He says, mm-hmm. I got this. You show up Monday. I'll have everything lined up for you. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but Dean Anderson, his wife, Linda, and my sister were all high school classmates. So I grew up watching him play football. So I knew him and Linda since I was a, you know, a little guy. Nice. So it's kind of like for almost first name basis. I just had to remember that. Yeah, he's a major. I'm still a lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. But he, fun. but they had everything set up, and mm-hmm. you know, knock on wood, you know, I passed everything. Um, showed up at Rucker, and sure enough, 30 days from that phone call, I was taking what we call our junior birdman nickel ride, where the instructor has you into the training helicopter to just kind of take you around the flight pattern and say, okay, yeah. this is what we're going to teach you how to do, and then you you don't do anything. You just like your yeah. cargo right in the left seat and you're flying around. So in the helicopter, you don't do any fixed wing stuff first. You can write the helicopters right away. Straight away. Yeah. Straight away. That's probably good. Yeah. Cause straight I, away. I it's about a year it's course. Close. It takes about a year. Yeah. Um, very intense. Yeah. Um, you do have a dropout rate, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I, I got through it. Um, then got qualified in different aircraft. When I retired, or as I tell people, when I graduated from the army, yeah, I had the most flight hours for a commission officer, non-instructor pilot, because I was just lucky getting flight assignments after flight assignments for a commission guy. And I was qualified in every make and model that we had in the inventory, except for the Chinook at the time. I figured any aircraft that could have a midair with itself, I didn't want to fly it. (laughs) So I, not to do Chinook. There's two rotors on that. Yeah, on and, it, yeah and, they all, and the yeah. rotors do this as they go. Yeah, by. So if the mechanic had a bad gets, day, it's not a good thing. Yeah, nothing against you, Shook, guys. I have great respect. I've been in the back of those plenty of times, yeah. so thank you for what you do. But I just like guns and scouts. I mean, that was that was yeah. what I wanted to do. And so yeah. uh, so I, I did that. 
Uh, I also flew British fleet to French Gazelle because one of my claims to fame, as you saw, I'm the only American to command a British attack helicopter squadron. Yeah. So crazy. I had a chance to be a distinguished visitor on the USS Abraham Lincoln last year. And uh, the, you know, we had to embark on it. We just walked on because it was in, at dock, but it was, we went out to sea for a day. And to get back, I got to ride in an Osprey, which is kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up with, um, with me getting the British assignment mm -hmm. during Grenada, Admiral Metcalf, who was the overall operations commander for the, for the, for the, United States yeah. uh, came to visit my operations out in the jungle yeah. and he had these two one-star generals. I call them beginning generals he had two of these brigadiers and yeah. one was a Marine, one was army. Okay. And then, and he also, and also the 18th airborne Corps, general McMull was there. Well, I didn't really pay attention to the one stars. I was watching these two, three stars. Yeah. And it, as it turned out, my Sergeant major and general McMull, the Corps commander had served together earlier in Vietnam when he was a company commander and Paul was one of his sergeants. So when we got done with the briefing, Paul put his arm around the general and said, come on, Jack, let me take you out back and tell you what's really going on. Cause the captain's not going to tell you everything. Huh. And so off they went and I thought, well, there goes my career. <laughs> and, um, and so then uh, my operations officer took general or Admiral Metcalf off to the side. So these two generals, I'm just sitting there, you know, idle chatter while the two guys are doing their thing. Six years later, I get a, uh, a call, time to leave Fort Bragg. They said, yeah, you're having too much fun. You need to leave. And so the guy said, well, you wanted to go to England. You'd like to go back to Germany. I can keep you in an aviation assignment so you can keep flying. Yeah. And I can do both because we're looking for an exchange tour with the Brits, nice. the Army Air Corps. But you have to go interview in the Pentagon. So I said, all right. So I drive up from Fort Bragg up to Washington to mm -hmm. the Pentagon. And I get in, this colonel gives me this book, no, two notebooks. He says, read this, I'll come get you. So I'm kind of flipping through about the exchange program. He comes, grabs me and says, let's go. The general would like to see you now. So I go and I knock on the door of the operations uh, officer, the de what we call the DESOPS, Deputy Chief of Staff for Operations and Plans. Okay. And I walk in and I stand there and I report to the general. And he looks up, salutes and says, Gordon, good to see you again. And goes back to writing. And I, he says, you have a seat over there. I'll be right with you. My Rolodex is spinning like crazy. Spinning. I'm oh going, why does this three-star know me by name? Because I go by my middle name. So if he'd have just said Captain Sumner or if he'd have said Lewis, right. good to see you. So then I'd be like, man, you don't know who I am. But he specifically right. said, Gordon, good to see you again. I'll be right wow. with you. So come to find out, he was the one-star Army guy that had visited me on Grenada, and his name was Norman Schwarzkopf. <laughs> Norman, Norman, oh my gosh! Yeah, Norman, he was my American boss during the exchange. Oh, I didn't really I, interact or see him. I mean, he was just on paper. I got to hear him speak at an event once, and it was just like, yeah, when in when in command, take charge. That was the line that I got out of that talk. You know, it's just what a great guy. Yes, yeah, so true. he was wow. he was my uh, my senior raider. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah. Or before, we could spend all day on this stuff, and I, I love talking about it. I'm so grateful for your time, but I suppose we should probably talk about your the doggy thing here with veterans yep. moving forward. So how did yep. you, you go from all that experience? I'm sure there's more there, but how did you get into the nonprofit world? And tell me more about that. Well, I had, as I said, I graduated from the Army, and I worked yeah. for just a few years with a small minority on business that mm -hmm. I tell people the good news is we grew, the bad news is we grew. And so uh, the exit strategy that the owner had just got 
decimated. Yeah. Uh, and so he ended up selling the company to a big firm up in New York. And I was like, I don't have any need for this. What am I going to do? Well, I get a call from the White House transition team saying, hey, how would you like to come work for the president? It was President Bush II at the time. Yeah. So I go down and I hand in my paperwork and I get assigned um, to work in the uh, Department of Defense as a, a political pony. And then um, Secretary Gates realized during that transition election that we were experiencing the first time our nation had been at war in 40 years doing a presidential transition because President Bush couldn't do it again. He'd already timed out with two tours. So we were going to have a new president, either Democratic or Republican, one or the other. And that just when it's normal, it's still stymied with getting the leadership appointed through the process, get confirmed by the Senate and all that. And Gates said, we can't do that when we got we got people in combat. So he made a deal with the parties that he would stay on as the SecDef. He would handpick some people to stay with them. And then once all that happened with the election, then whichever party got it, they could then yeah. start to pick. But at least we could keep the the the, the leadership chain going and not have yeah. a break in support. So he asked me if I'd stay. I was honored to do so. Yeah. Uh, so I stayed around for about another year or so uh, under the Obama administration in the in the Pentagon. Okay. So when I finally got out of that, I did want to do defense contracts. So I started my own business that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And it was focused on nonprofit. So I get a phone call from the two co-founders, Karen Jeffries, retired Navy commander, and her friend Bob Larson from New York City, that they wanted to start a nonprofit to provide service dogs to veterans that didn't have any particular caveat. And what I mean by that is there were a lot of nonprofits going on around that time frame, around 2010. But in order to get one, that organization said you had to have been a 9-11 veteran or you had to have been wounded in combat, or you had to be a Marine, or you had to be, right. had to been something. Well, our something is simple that you served honorably and that you have documentation from your primary care providers, both physical as well as mental primary care providers, that they encourage your efforts to get a service dog. Yeah. And that's it. You can be anywhere in the United States to include Hawaii and Alaska. Nice. So I went and talked to them about this thinking, ah, good a business opportunity. But, Doug, I'm telling you, I literally fell in love with what they were thinking, their vision. And I said, much to the screens of my bride, I said, I'm not going to charge. I just want to be a part of this was this was a nonprofit that I think I wanted to get arms around outside the normal uh, nonprofits that uh, veteran service organizations that I was already involved in, you know, Mm -hmm. military or the Purple Heart, American Legion, those kind of guys. Right. Right. So I did. So I. I helped them. We got our paperwork. We got a 501c3 in 2010. So we've been around now officially a little over 12 and a half years. Great. So I served on the board, was secretary for a while, uh, acting president towards the end of that six years, five or six years. Mm-hmm. I became, I was elected as the commander for the military order, the Purple Heart chapter here for Northern Virginia. So I stepped away from the dogs to focus on the chapter to get it back up and running. Because uh, we had a very vibrant chapter, but it was really yeah. run a lot by the World War II guys. Well, yeah. so they're all dying off and retiring, and so it's the yeah. younger, they called us the younger generation. So you know, so it was yeah. time for us to step up with some of the Vietnam and some of the Korean War veterans that we had. So I yeah. selected. So I did that for about four years. Came out of that in 2019, thinking, all right, so what am I going to do now? Out, you know, getting a nonprofit or getting my uh, consulting business cranked back up again. Yep. Yeah. 
And I said, uh, what am I going to do? And so the board, some of the board members contacted me from Veterans Moving Forward asking if I would come out of retirement yeah. and um, come back this time paid as the president and CEO and take over full time and fix it, as they said. Mm. So um, I didn't realize what it was, what they had gone through, but they really had what I call the dark days. So it really wasn't doing what we, what I thought they would continue to do when I left. So I came back. Uh, my COO, Lori Sittner, and head trainer and program director, Katie Paulson, had just arrived before I got there. And so I said, look, I know there's all this going on. I said, but if you'll just give me three months. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that three months, if you don't like me, you don't like where we're going, you don't like what I'm saying, here's what we need to do. I will help you get a job. I'll write letters of recommendation because at least you tried. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. threw it in there and it just, it's just not working. And here we are, you know, four, almost four years later, still together. Amazing. And we went from almost no dogs being placed to where Katie's now averaging three to four service dogs a year for the last two or three years. Oh, that's wonderful. And we've got, we closed the books, uh, 2022 with a little over half a million in the bank after everything was, was done. That's now great. we're in the process of getting our new training center designed. We should have that finished by the end of this week, early next week. Uh-huh. Um, I've got builders that are giving me estimates. I've got some eyes on property out here in Loudoun County, Virginia, where we can get about 10 acres to build this nice. new 8,000 square foot facility on. Uh-huh. And the better part is I think I've got a couple of uh, sponsors who are interested in funding the project. Oh, wonderful. We'll do capital campaign for the operational aspect once we do the ribbon cutting and yeah. make sure we got money in the bank to keep the lights on. Yeah, go contact <clears throat> Subaru Loves Dogs. I know that they're they're giving a lot of money to. Yeah. So what we do is we train in place mm-hmm. um, service dogs with veterans that are dealing with physical and or mental handicaps. Absolutely no cost to the dog or their family. Uh, we do these dogs, as I mentioned, nationwide. And what people don't know is how much it costs. These dogs run around fifty thousand dollars over that two-year training period. So I'm all the time looking for sponsors, looking for major donors. Yeah, I would love to get people to come in and kind of help uh, fund the training center that we're in right now. We're about four thousand, four hundred thousand a year. So if I could get you know some people, what I call true believers, that can come in and help us just Mm -hmm. to maintain this year and next year as we're starting to transition. We hope by the end of next year into that new training center, because we still have veterans. I've got, as I mentioned, we're, we're maxed out in where we are. It's, it's not yeah. a very big training center that we inherited. Um, why we're there, I don't know. We're in an industrial park place. We're right by the Dulles International Airport. I have no backyard. I have no outdoor uh-huh. space to train. We can't keep the dogs overnight. So all that's going to shift when we can get this new training center. But most importantly, as I mentioned, we're doing three or four dogs a year. And that sounds great. Doug, I've got over 50 veterans on a wait list. So that's yeah. why this challenge of providing these service dogs, which I firmly believe are part of the suicide prevention program. Oh, for sure. So that's why it's imperative yeah. that we get the get the facilities, get the funding, and right. be able to start training 10 to 20 dogs. At yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, I was reading an article, the, uh, the huge business for the um, – Law enforcement dogs. I mean, there's, I think that the number I thought was like 80,000 to train them with this. Yeah, so, and, it, and it may be. Yeah. So yeah, 50 grand for, uh, skill sets. yeah, that, that's a, that's a totally real number. And cause you got, yeah, they have to wait till like 
through the puppy phase, like age two or so? When do they become? Yeah, two years. Two years, right? So it's yeah, two we years. Get them, of... We get them at eight weeks. Yeah. We train them for two years. And when they graduate, they Aww. look like that. There you so go. That's, that's Polly. Nice. One of our harnesses. That harness that's on her back is $1,000. Oh, my gosh. And that harness is so that a veteran who is having mobility issues, or even if they're suffering for TBI and they've kind of lost their balance when right. things happen up there, they can grab that harness and be able oh. to stabilize themselves. And this is another one of our great devices. Oh, this is one man. of my favorite. This is Ashley. Ashley is currently right. with a Marine in Montana right nice. now. Um, Ashley went with this Marine up there. He has kids that he's never been able to go see a sporting activity, couldn't get out of the house with them, etc. He got Ashley, and within one month, he was at his daughter's uh, game, and he watched his son play football. Within one month. Gosh. Yeah. So we're I, we're we're not only saving lives, we're changing lives of these veterans every day. Right. No, three to four is not enough. We definitely want to bump that number up. So yeah, we're gonna put the. The link below here for this nonprofit, please click on that. <coughs> Give what you can because the life you save could be somebody that <laughs> your own. No, the life you save is an important one because they've served, right? Or their family. I mean, it's a very, very, um, yeah, you're right. The dog thing is a, it's like a no brainer in terms of the um, helping prevent a suicide or two. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. uh, they're, they're responsible <coughs> for something, they're calming, they're loving unconditionally. Of course, it's going to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, and think about the training that they do. We we train these dogs to fetch medicines. Yeah, they get uh, bottles of water out of the refrigerator because you got to have something to drink when you're taking your meds. Yeah, um, they do uh, anxiety alerts. They do mm -hmm. nightmare alerts. They turn lights on and off for you. Uh, they open doors. Uh, oh. We do we do all of those trainings, and they they're also obviously obedient. Yeah. So they're all KC AKC Canine Good Citizenship certified dogs. Yeah. Uh, so they can go out as a service dog. Um, and like I said, it, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, but our trainers are dedicated and yeah. I'm really proud of our volunteers. Yeah. So as you imagine, we just, we do have another trainer, uh, Linnea Morris joined us this year. But if you can imagine, there's only four of us running a company. Yeah. So everything else that we do that Lori, especially is I call her the CEO chief, everything officer. Yeah. So everything yeah. that Lori's doing in the front office area, we have volunteers that help from, office management, our donor management system, all of our social media is done by volunteers, yeah. outreach program, fundraising, uh, coordinating events, things like that with Lori. So we get all that done. So how does that impact us? So we have over 50 volunteers and we have mm -hmm. a system that they can go in and tell me how many hours that they have volunteered for us. And it's great for me to put it on our tax yeah. returns, our 990s and tell the tell the uh, donors as well as tell the board, here's what we're getting. So to give you an idea, in 2021, these volunteers logged. So I know they didn't log everything. They're volunteers. They get done with yeah. something, go home and have a beer. And it's like, yeah, that was fun and fixed dinner or whatever. They logged over 15,500 hours. And I thought, oh my God, that's, that's unbelievable. Well, yeah. guess what? 2022, they logged over 22,000 hours. Wow. So we Amazing. must be doing something right. If sure. these people who could take those hours and do something for another organization mm -hmm. or their church or their synagogue or, you know, their mosque, something yeah. else. But uh, that's where we get all these, these great volunteers. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had, a, I had a guy, I got a fundraising story for you. My, my help. 
Um, <coughs> a client of mine, he wasn't a client, he came to me, he was from Australia, a former undercover DEA agent. And he was in Thailand on vacation and uh, his wife went to the bathroom and somebody came up to him and said, do you want to buy this girl? And he's like, what? Yeah, do you want to buy this girl, a little nine-year-old girl? And he said, no. And it totally freaked him out. He, uh, he went home and said, started looking at the human traffic and whatnot and realized it was a massive issue. He, um, he left his job like same week or whatever and started this nonprofit called Project Karma. And he's called me for PR advice. Like, Doug, I want to, you know, PR to uh, raise some money and whatnot. And uh, I said, well, you're, uh, you know, what do you got going on? And here's my fee and whatnot. And he's, you know, wasn't really sure what he's doing on that. And I said, you know what? Just, you know, ask for money. Because, oh, I'm afraid to ask for money. I said, you're an undercover <laughs> DEA you, You've been in situations where you could have got shot in the back of the head. Because, oh, I'm not afraid of dying. I've been facing that my whole life. I'm afraid of getting the rejection of the money. I'm like, all right, uh, yeah. tell me a story, right? So he tells me a story about he's doing surveillance at this place in, in Southeast Asia. And it's a horrible story. Um, Gut-wrenching. And I said, just tell that story. Just tell that story. You have to ask for money. And he started doing that. I did a free PR form at that point. The story was making me cry. I'm like, oh, I'll do press release for free, which I'll do for you, by the way. And oh, uh, oh yeah. Um, and from that point forward, his business, nonprofit business, just took off. Documentary, money came in. He's rescued, I don't know how many, how many dozens and dozens of kids from the sex slave trade set up a safe house for them in Southeast Asia. It's a wonderful story, but it goes back to telling, like you use a poster child, creating that story about the guy in Montana, documenting that and just putting that out there in as many socials as you can. And rarely, I mean, a, a donate button with a story that makes you cry is like. Yeah, we have that. We do a lot with our social media. In fact, with yeah. our Facebook, we've got one veteran who again, uh, couldn't walk out of the house with his daughters down the driveway to uh, get on the bus. He would literally put them in the car and drive down and make them sit in the car till the bus came up. Then they get out of the car and get on. Well, wow. then he got his service dog, Gil, and his wife sent us a picture and it shows the veteran and his two girls walking down the sidewalk like this with Gil on his side about a month after he got, he got Gil. So and all of our dogs are named after veterans who were killed in combat as well. So yeah. for example, Ashley, yeah. the black lab, yeah. uh, she's now, she's named after army first Lieutenant Ashley white, who was uh -huh. killed in Afghanistan in 2011. She was uh -huh. the first female, that army veteran that was assigned to a special forces operations unit. And she wanted to be there so that yeah. she could use herself to talk to the tribal women to, to make them understand who we were and yeah. to become believers in the American forces as friends. Mm. And she and two of her soldiers were killed by an IED in their vehicles. So that's how we honor yeah. and remember uh, these true American heroes. So right. how yeah. can, how can people help us? Well, a couple of things you meant, you kind of hit on a little bit earlier businesses that are out there. A lot of them, they give to, they do it the easy way there. A lot of times they have a foundation or their business development person is a person who has oversight for their charitable giving. And they just, right. they take the easy way out 
by saying, well, let's see, what did we do last year? Well, yeah. we gave to Wounded Warrior Project. We gave to USO. Yeah. We gave to Gary Sinise and all that. Yeah. And so they said, well, we'll just do that again. And then the boss comes in. Hey, how are we doing? Oh, boss, we got it taken care of. So to all you businesses out there, don't stop giving to these organizations. I know the leadership of most of them personally. They're great friends. Some of them we've served together. Please don't stop. What I'm asking you to re reconsider is these organizations have literally seven, eight figures in the bank, millions yeah. of dollars. Yeah. You could give them half of what you're giving them and give the other half to us. Mm -hmm. What does that do? That now becomes a game changer for veterans moving forward. For sure. $400,000 a year, we could we could take that money, guarantee our operations for the next 12 months. My COO right. could get some sleep at night, not worrying about if the donations are going to come in the mail or the website the next day. Yeah, And you could literally change lives by doing that and still give to both. Your, your money is going to go in this big pot and they're going to be appreciative. You might get a letter right. saying thank you, but you're not going to be able to tell what did it specifically do? You come to VMF and I can tell you exactly where that dollar is going because we yeah. itemize every dog, every donation that goes in there. And I can tell you down to the penny where that donation goes. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to think about. The other thing is, how can you help? Well, I believe in the power of small numbers. Let me just give you an example. I was on a podcast not long ago. And I asked the guys, and I had a ball, just like I'm having today. I mean, as you could tell, I'd love to talk when it comes to the dogs. So we're rolling. And I asked them, I said, because they were asking about donations. How would I said, well, let me tell you, how many people do you have that you could say, really listen? I know how many listeners you have, but how many people do you, do you think you have that are maybe listening right now because they're true believers in what you're doing? And they said about 750. And I said, all right, so let's do this. Challenge your listeners. Mm -hmm. 750 of you, you're going to make a donation. Okay. You're going to become monthly donors, true believers. And here's how, here's what I want you to do. 750, cut it in half. This first half over here, I want you to donate $10 a month. Mm -hmm. A Starbucks coffee a month, 10 bucks, go to our website, one and done, and, and you can take it off in your taxes. All right. So that's, that's 300 and something right there. The other half split in in half. This this quarter, 25%, I want you to donate up to $50 a month. Okay? Go to a website, 50, one and done, and you're it. You guys over here, you're the ones who really become true believers. And I just need the few of you, 100 of you, to donate $100 a month. Average. You can donate more, but let's just say $100 a month. You know what that does? That small number guarantees we've got enough income monthly basis to cover our operating costs wow. for the next 12 months, $10, $50 and a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. Just that $750, 750 listeners from that group will cover our operating cost every month until the people decide they, they want to stop donating and don't start donating to somebody else. Yeah. That's, that's the power. That's the message that if yeah. I can get yeah. 750 people in the United States out of, 300 and something million yeah. to donate $10 a month, another hundred and something donate 50 and another hundred and something donate a hundred. And we're moving. I mean, yeah. we are moving. I love that. And it's interesting to say about if you're already donating to say, you know, wounded warrior or something, cutting that in half, <clears throat> if you're making a hundred thousand dollar donation a year, uh, 
cutting that in half won't impact Wounded Warriors that much because, like I said, it's a seven, eight figure budget. But that 50 grand will make a huge difference to you guys. So it actually, you get, like you said, more bang for your buck by spreading it out a little bit. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, 50,000 would cover almost two months of operating. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. It's 1,500, whatever they're already doing, just cut it, spread it out a little bit. I think it's a good, good point. Yeah. Man, it's great having you on the show today. Veterans Moving Forward. And uh, what's the actual website? And we'll put it down here in the show notes. Okay. It's obviously www.vetsfwd.org because the organization. So it's vets forward, vetsfwd.org. You can Google us and find us. Go to our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Look for Veterans Moving Forward. Like us. Share our posts. We also do a lot of educational things on there. So we'll have Wisdom Wednesdays where mm-hmm. one of our dogs will talk about what you need to do with the dogs as we're approaching summer. What not to do? Nice. Do dogs, one of the dogs say, I got an allergy. Yep. Guess what? I'm allergic to stuff. So here's mm-hmm. what here's how you can check out if your dog may be suffering from an allergy instead of mm-hmm. just coughing around. So we do Wisdom Wednesday. For the donors that are out there, we also like to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how we do that is through Thankful Thursdays and Friends Fridays. So we will highlight you, your business. So for example, Doug, if I can get some just some information from you, we yeah. will highlight you as our Thankful Thursday or Friends Friday. Talk about you or your business or your podcast, mm-hmm. whatever you want us to do. You're going to be our friend for the day. And we'll have you out on our social media so that people can learn and they can click on your link and learn more about you and the great work that you're doing, especially for veterans. Count on it. I'm going to definitely the uh, the press release I can do for that for you right away. So I'm going to send you a link. We're done here. So you can, you can do that and get you some some more traction here. And very good. Wow. Thank you. Gordon, thank you so much for being on the show. Today. I really appreciate it. Guys, check out the link below. Donate. Check his social media out. There's some great stuff there. And uh, I really appreciate being on the show today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you much. And then when you go to our website, there's a how can I contact? And it goes to the admin at vetsfwd.org. Okay. So when you go to, when you email admin, I'll end up with, if you say, hey, I heard this yeah. guy yeah. almost fell asleep during his podcast, <laughs> but I think I woke up at the most important part of it when he was talking about the dogs and how to donate. Can you ask him to please, I can't remember his name, but can you ask the guy who was on the radio show with Doug? Can he email me? I'll get that. And then I'll reach back out and contact uh, contact your listeners, either uh, email or phone call, whatever whatever mm-hmm. you would like. Because again, we're doing this together. It's my closing line is, please support veterans moving forward. Because together we're going to provide these veterans a new leash on life. Amen, brother. Thank you very much for your service. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks, Doug. You bet. That closes the show for today. Um, please take a look at the links below. Check it out. Gord's got a great thing going there, and you want to be involved. Um, just click on that and get started. It's as simple as clicking. Thanks so much, and have a great day.